The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Anthony Curry. What ties together India's wealthiest individual, Saudi Aramco and Jeff Bezos? Well, later in the show, we'll turn to our colleagues in Hong Kong and Mumbai to give us the answer. Up first, though, we're going on a tour of WeWork's plan to sell shares to the public. The firm has over the years turned renting shared office space, replete with free beer and other perks, into a hot industry. But the company is burning cash and has a number of other red flags that potential investors should pay attention to. Also, it seems to have provided its listing for its IPO on the day that the markets have uh, gone haywire as all these recession fears come through, which makes life even worse for the company, you'd think. Here to provide us with a floor plan to WeWork's convoluted structure and what it's hoping to do, uh, Rob Cox and uh, Rob Siren. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks, Thank you. Anthony. So let's start with you, um, Rob Siren. Um, as I recall, I came in this morning, you were already looking at the IPO prospectus, and um, you were laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> It's, 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 What's it's, the deal it's here? rare to get a prospectus that, you know, that can make you laugh. You know, usually it's uh, forced chuckles. So it's 359 pages of just mess. So like, so start from the top, how the company is organized. It's, it's got, um, it's just, it look at, it looks like a Christmas tree where it's got like, it's got the top <laughs> I like company. <laughs> I do too, but it's got a top company that's got operating companies underneath. It's got joint ventures, some with SoftBank, some yeah. with its management that own, and uh, that own various buildings. And that makes also so conflicts of interest. So if you look through the conflicts of interest, um, the related party transactions, it's 11 pages of, of all different deals. 11 they pages of deals where the company, which the company does with, what, its founder? Founder and other people. So, okay. so the founder and other members of the board directors own significant stakes in buildings, which right. are rented by WeWork. And, of course, that puts them on the opposite side of the table because they're, yeah. they're making money from WeWork. I mean, the whole thing, you said it makes it, it makes you laugh. It also, I mean, the, the real truth is it will make an investor cry. Yeah. I mean, this is the worst IPO prospectus I think I've read in a couple of years. Remember, we went back to Snap and they had listed, they had sold stock that had no voting rights, um, which you thought, how could it get worse than that? Actually, I think, didn't you describe that as, you know, investors have basically put on their, oh, their, their sweatpants sweat Yeah, basically. And, you know, the stock still has not, it has gone over the 1750 or whatever it was that it, it IPO'd at, but basically it's still, it's been dead water, dead money right. since, the, since the start. Um, this one, in addition to having the sort of tech gobbledygook nonsense about um, as you I think as you refer to in your piece the um, it's like an inspirational poster of a kitty cat you know like <laughs> hanging by its paws <laughs> what does it say it let, says, let me read you what it said it said we dedicate this energy of we greater than any one of us but inside of all of us we are that's, con- right, that's, that's, <laughs> that's in the prospectus yes that's no, the, 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 the open that's that's like that's like the it's almost like an evite and it comes with like a little <laughs> slogan right. then it goes into the uh, mission statement which says we are a community company committed to maximum global impact. Our mission is to elevate the world's consciousness. Now, I thought it was to provide really cool office space. Uh, Well, well, maybe it's just the the, the free beer that gets you drunk, but that's not really how you're going to make money. I mean, you know, by the way, their office, I look out at the Reuters office here and, you know, sorry, uh, whoever uh, designed this plan, it's pretty terrible. Mm. And it's like that everywhere. (laughs) You know, every Mm -hmm, one mm -hmm. of our offices, you go to WeWork offices, it's cool. It's it's made for mingling. It's made for collaboration, all that stuff. That's I mean, there's no question it's like a better product in a way, but but all of the all the trappings around it, the governance, 
the related party transactions, the um, the just the, the 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 risk factors in this thing. This is all before you get to the the matter of losses. Losses. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that one of the other things I think you pointed out, um, Siren, was um, how much uh, borrowing the CEO has done against his stock. And he's got the money from some of the underwriters in the IPO, which is another mm-hmm. great big red flag, you'd think. Mm-hmm. He's pledging shares of his own against yeah. that. And we've seen that before. And Elon Musk at Tesla's done that. In fact, the last, I was just looking this up earlier on, the, the, the last stock and convertible bond offering when they really needed to raise money, um, two or three of the underwriters were had shoveled him lots of cash uh, to, to make sure he could keep his mortgages going on his five houses and stuff. Yeah, but Musk wasn't being, using the money to become a counterparty to the company's run. Uh, no, that is true. Actually, he does. <laughs> he, keep, he keeps investing and it's his main source of income. So at least there is there is that. And yeah. then and then it's just the question of, as you point out, the losses. What did you say they had done in the first so they've, half? They've, um, their revenue was almost doubled. Their losses more than doubled. Right, uh, so one, they even uh, have operations. Re- yeah, so the first six months, they... Uh, the revenue is about 1.5 billion. Losses were almost exactly that. Right. Too. So and on, but on top of that, there's also some. Well, we're not going too much into the weeds here, but they also suddenly went from losing a bit of money on interest uh, rate income to um, earning about 500 million, just under. Yeah, it, it's due to some uh, re, um, revamping the terms on a, a um, the something warrants. Provi- warrants so that's, a, by so that's a one-off gain. So it's a one-off gain. Yeah. Which so makes their their, their lever- operating leverage look even worse. Yeah. So I think if you do the numbers, I think it was something like 90 percent of each additional dollar they made. Was it in the form of a loss? Mm. So that's not, it's not a viable business plan. Then you think back. I mean, we today you mentioned Anthony at the outset that the markets are are crapping out because people are worried about a recession mm. in Germany. You have the yield curve uh, reverting to, uh, to to basically suggest that we have one in the U.S. coming. Yeah, so the first time we've seen this relationship between the the, the two and ten year borrowing of the U.S. since two thousand and seven. Everyone remembers what happened after that. I don't so remember. I don't know what happened. Uh, but this company. But so so this company is is founded in 2010. So it's had it's it's a, it has basically thrived in the nine years in which we've had an uh, you know unending recovery, mm-hmm. longest recovery I think in at least a hundred years. Yep. And you've had the the one where co- money costs nothing, virtually free money, whether it's from SoftBank or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, free is not obviously mm. true, but I mean the, the the cost of money is extremely low. So it's completely the business model is totally mm. untested to a a a recession of any sort, just a cyclical one, much less anything you know that's like what we went through in two thousand and eight. And if you think back to to then, I mean, that we of course were looking at real estate transactions back then. Remember, and this is regardless of what else you think about the company, about how cool its office plan is or what it's doing to help people work remotely or not work from their home. Um, it's a real estate company, right? right. It's it based on real estate. And you go back, and what was it that, that, that basically helped crash Lehman? Um, Archstone Properties. Okay, a somewhat different model. Residential, but, they bought, paid yeah. too much. I mean, but the, the, the point is, real estate, you know, offices become smaller mm. when companies are seeing their earnings decline because the economy is yeah. declining. And there, you know, th- there are fewer people sitting at desks at workstations. I think, as they're called in in the in yeah. the prospectus, that happens. And and then you have the additional element to that, which is, you know, the boom, the the sort of dot com boom. I don't know how much of it. Account, a lot of a lot of their it. tenants are right. co- are startup companies. So yeah, those so, companies right. will see will be extra leveraged to a decline. Yeah. Um, and so you just think that 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 doesn't mean they go out of business. By the way, guys, it's just it just happens that. But if it happens, you'll have. 
less revenue. You have fewer yeah. people in these seats. And even though they might they might lock people in, I think they call them subscribers or something like that, um, in for multi-year deals. You know, there will still be a hit for that. And they are not tested for that. They're a business that's 100 percent a creation of the past nine years, which has been an aberration in economic history. Yeah. There's there's no, you know, can they actually continue to borrow money at that point? As, yeah. as you know, you, you, you'd think that banks and credit markets are going to concentrate on the most liquid, you know, the most profitable entities at that point, not yeah. a company like we were. People who pay you back. <laughs> what a quaint concept. All right, uh, the two Robs, thanks for coming on and talking about that. Uh, somehow I feel that WeWork will be uh, the topic of discussion for some time to come. But I still want us to have an office there. Well, clearly. I mean, you know, we can, we can, <laughs> we can rag on the company's structure. But, and hey, it's not just office, because yeah. of the free beer, but that's kind it of hard. All right, guys, thanks for coming thanks. on the show. Thanks. Hello, Viewsroom listeners. I'm Clara Ferreira-Marquez in Hong Kong, and I'm chatting today with my fellow columnist, Tuna Galani, based in Mumbai. It's been a landmark few weeks for Reliance Industries, India's largest company owned by billionaire Mukesh Ambani. It's not only an oil company now, it's also the country's largest mobile provider, thanks to Geo. And its annual meeting this week, it says it wants to shake up fibre, retail, cloud services, and to pay for it all, he's selling assets, including a stake in the core business, to Saudi Aramco. Una, what's this transformation all about? Well, Clara, let me start by telling you a little bit about this annual meeting that happened yesterday. Um, this, this AGM has sort of turned into a bit of an annual extravaganza, and yesterday did not disappoint. We saw Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, beamed in by live video feed. We saw uh, this big uh, stake sale to Aramco for implied proceeds of $15 billion. We had him launch a broadband offering with augmented reality shopping experiences, free set-top boxes, to talk about free uh, ultra-high-definition television for subscribers. It was a sort of uh, another rerun of this sort of free-for-all which came with the telecoms offering. Well, it's hard for people outside India to imagine the revolution that Geo really brought about in India. And the surprising thing really is that it comes from an oil company, a company that started in plastics, was it, and into oil and refining and now revolutionising mobile. Where do you see the Geo revolution happening next among all that sort of cornucopia of options that he laid out at the AGM? The most interesting thing about Geo and, and about their transformation is that they have now, as you said, they've morphed from being an oil company and now they have this huge, now they have, they are behind the world's second largest telecom operator after China Mobile. And they've done most of their spending by laying down this super fast network. But they haven't launched some of the other services that they can now build on top of that. One of those is broadband, and that's what's coming next. He's going to shape up the market for cable providers, for cinemas, and people are going to be getting these super fast connections direct to their home, faster speeds than the average in the US, even for the cheapest packages that people will be getting. And, you know, he's going to start bundling together all these top streaming platforms. So, you know, we wonder if Netflix is going to be in the mix. No more multiple subscriptions to various um, over-the-top streaming services. So I think that's where the next big focus is going to be. And in some ways, there's a bit less to disrupt than there was in telecoms. You know, there, there was three large telecom operators, including Vodafone, and he sort of obliterated them all almost. In the in the cable space, I mean, India only has 18 million fixed-line broadband subscriptions domestically. So I think that's going to be a more interesting place for him to build on. 
What about retail? Because you've compared him to Jeff Bezos in the sense that he's created an empire that includes content, retail, and, you know, far beyond the core. What can he really do there? I think for retail, what Ambani could do is sort of a fascinating question. I mean, he has already has the largest bricks and mortar retailer in the country. Uh, his digital shops are selling, you know, the television every 24 seconds, a mobile phone every two seconds, top in fashion, grocery. He also owns Hamleys, which has given him an international presence, you know, as a famous toy store. But overall, Reliance is aiming to be a top 20 global retailer in the next five years. In terms of e-commerce specifically, it looks like initially he's going to be focused primarily on bringing uh, India's millions of uh, mom and pop store owners into the digital age. And it's sort of a bit like what Jack Ma did with Alibaba. You know, he's trying to, Ambani is trying to empower the small retailers. And he senses that that's where he's going to get his momentum from. So for now, Amazon and, and Reliance and Amazon, well, Bezos and Ambani are not going directly head to head, although perhaps they will be doing so in cloud services. Can he pay for it all? Because obviously we know that the oil and refining business generates a lot of cash. He's still built up incredible amounts of debt. I mean, Geo cost something like $40 billion, I think you said in your column this week. What do the shareholders think? And do they think he really can get down to, is it zero net debt? Well, this, yeah, I mean, this is the most amazing thing, actually. And this is probably the most exciting thing. You know, after spending, as you rightly said, $40 billion on this geo infrastructure, building this super fast network, running up borrowings at the company, which was traditionally been a conservative one, he's now aiming to be net debt, zero net debt free within 18 months. And that's entirely achievable because they have reached the end of this huge spending cycle, both in telecoms and in the petrochemicals and refining operations, which is a huge cash cow for the business. And so the latter will be throwing off loads of cash, um, together with the sort of like $15 billion that they're going to pocket from Saudi Aramco, hopefully, if they manage to turn this uh, letter of intent into a real deal. I mean, you know, he's actually got enough to do that. And, and that's the really scary thing for rivals like Jeff Bezos and Amazon. And Bali is just going to end up with an even bigger war chest for disruption. Brilliant. An absolutely impressive war chest indeed. Thank you very much, Una. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Clara Ferreira-Marquez, Una Galani, Rob Siren and Rob Cox for coming on the show. We extend our gratitude as always to our producers, Freddie Joyner, Ross Shoulder, Laura Browner and Tom Lubansky. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister show, The Exchange, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please do share your opinions about our shows. Join us again next week for another edition.